welcome to a special two-part episode of the Co-Mission podcast. What a joy to see over 500 women from around London gathered in worship and prayer at our Co-Mission Women's Day. We had an encouraging time together, so we wanted to share these talks with you here. We're blessed to have Carolyn Lacey speak to us on the topic of real rest. This first talk was on finding rest in Christ. We hope you enjoy it. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, it still remains for some to enter that rest. And since those who have formerly good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long-time leader he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did when from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Long have I a word enshrined and worshipped with a piety blind. Long have I been seeking rest in the east and in the west. Here and there and everywhere have I seen her shadow fair, but the shadow seems to fade like the flowers of yonder glade. In my lone retreat I sought her, but dreams against me fought. In my nights for her I pray, but like sleep she stays away. The Lebanese poet Amin Rahani penned these words 120 years ago, but they're timeless. They capture the longing of human hearts throughout history, and I imagine they resonate deeply with many of us here today. We all long for rest, not the temporary rest of a few days by the beach or the superficial rest of a weekend spa, but the deep eternal soul rest we were each created for. We long to be free from our striving for acceptance, belonging, approval, productivity, achievement, self-fulfillment, having enough, doing enough, being enough. The striving exhausts us. It leaves us discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned. It leaves us restless. And I wonder if that's how you feel today, longing, maybe even striving for rest, but like Amin Rahani, finding that her shadow fades as you draw near. 
Perhaps you doubt whether it's even possible to experience rest at all. Maybe you've resigned yourself to feeling weary and overwhelmed for the rest of life. Others of us maybe haven't quite reached that level of despair, but we experience a low-level unsettledness, this unshakable feeling that the Christian life wasn't meant to be quite as chaotic and pressured as it often seems. An unwelcome fear that the quiet season we're hoping and waiting for, well, it just isn't coming for us. And an unspoken frustration that life in Christ isn't quite living up to our expectations. Instead of rest and peace, there is instability, disorder, worry, anxiety, confusion, trouble, sorrow and fear. Well, however we're feeling this morning, the author of Hebrews has a message of hope for us. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 11 of Hebrews 4 this morning. Do you have that open in front of you? We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but he addresses primarily Jewish Christians, people who've grown up in Judaism but now believe in Jesus. But these believers are struggling Um, probably because of opposition or persecution, and they're contemplating a return to Judaism. They're thinking about leaving their newfound faith in Christ and the freedom he brings and returning to the regulations of the law they once trusted in for salvation, things like temple worship and animal sacrifice, um, ritual cleansing, observing special days and weeks and seasons. And so the author responds by showing them how much greater Jesus is than anything they could put in his place. He shows that Jesus is better than angels and prophets and human leaders and priests. His covenant is better than the old covenant. His sacrifice more superior to the sacrifices made under the law. He is the one to whom everything in the past pointed and the one who fulfills it all. And so following him is worth any hardship they may face because of him. Now, I imagine not many of us are considering trading faith in Jesus in for animal sacrifices and temple worship. I hope we're not. But we are all tempted to look to other things to provide what only he can, rest for our souls. We all at times look for rest in all the wrong places, and that's why it so often eludes us. The people and the possessions and the experiences we chase after do not bring rest. If anything, they leave us hungry and restless for more. So what can we do? Is there any chance of finding real rest that will satisfy our longing and bring an end to our striving? Well, the author of Hebrews reaches out to us across the centuries with a message of hope, freedom from striving and unending rest for our souls. I've got three main points from these verses this morning. They're very simple. One, God promises rest. Two, Christ secures rest. And three, we must enter rest. So firstly, God promises rest. Let's read verse one again. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. 
The author begins with an announcement of good news. The promise of entering God's rest still stands. But he follows this announcement with a warning. And really to understand the warning, we need to just flick back to the previous chapter. So in Hebrews 3, 7 through to 19, um, the author rehearses the story of the generation of Israelites who were delivered from Egypt but failed to enter the promised land of Canaan because of their disbelief and their disobedience. Um, The short story is that they were mistreated slaves in Egypt and they cried out to the Lord to rescue them from their oppressors. He heard their cries and through miraculous signs and wonders, including the parting of the Red Sea, he delivered them from Egypt and destroyed the Egyptians who were pursuing them so they couldn't enslave them again. After this extraordinary rescue, God spoke to the Israelites through Moses and he promised to lead them to a good land flowing with milk and honey where they would live as his people. He led them safely through the wilderness, providing food from heaven and protection from enemy attacks. But despite their deliverance and the miracles they witnessed, the people refused to trust him. They grumbled and complained. They disobeyed his commands. When spies went to check out the land and came back and said, it's good, there's milk and honey and good fruit. Well, the Israelites refused to enter because they were afraid of the people already living in the land. They didn't trust the Lord to keep his word and give it to them. They decided they would be better off returning to Egypt, where they'd been enslaved and ill-treated. And so because they refused to trust in him, God refused to let them enter the land. They would wander in the wilderness until that whole generation of Israelites had died out, except for two men, Joshua and Caleb, who believed God's word and trusted his promises. And so the author of Hebrews, quoting from Psalm 95, says that what that unbelieving generation of Israelites missed out on was God's rest. Chapter 3, verse 11, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The promised land was a promise of rest for the people of God. They wanted to rule themselves, and the result was no rest. Verse 18, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The original Hebrew hearers of this message would have been familiar with the history of their ancestors and with Psalm 95, and they would have understood rest a little differently from us. We think of rest as taking a break, going on holiday, watching Netflix, scrolling social media. But the original readers of this message understood God's rest as freedom and safety, They would have known what Moses said to the generation of Israelites who did enter the land. In Deuteronomy 12, he says, You will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. The rest God promises his people is not a week off work or a few hours away from the family. It's the rest of the promised land, a place he will give as their inheritance because they belong to him. A place where they will know freedom from slavery, protection, safety from the attacks of their enemies. A place where they can return to the good work 
of living as his people under his rule and blessing. And the author of Hebrews wants these struggling believers to know that this promise still stands. They can still enter God's rest centuries later. And that's because the ultimate rest God had in mind wasn't the physical land of Canaan, but rest in himself. All the structures of the old covenant, the temple worship, the land, the nation of Israel, they all pointed forward to a greater physical reality that is found in Christ. The promised land of Canaan was never God's highest goal for his people. His highest goal has always been that by faith they would join him and enjoy his eternal rest. But how could they and how can we enter that rest? The author of Hebrews tells us it's only by sharing the faith of those who did believe. Back in Hebrews 4 verse 2, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. The wilderness generation of Israelites received the good news from Joshua and Caleb. The promised land was theirs for the taking. God had brought them to a land overflowing with good things. They just needed to enter by faith and claim it as their own. True, there were powerful people living in the land, but they were no match for the God who'd led them through the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh's army behind them. Joshua and Caleb say in Numbers 14, Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the Israelites' response was tragic. They received the good news, but they didn't benefit from it. The good news had no value to them because they hadn't been united by faith to those who listened to God's promise and obeyed his commands. They were believers in God, but they refused to trust him. They didn't combine the message they received with faith. And so all of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, they died in the wilderness outside the place of rest. It was a tragic end to their rescue story. But it wasn't the end for future generations of God's people. The author of Hebrews wants his readers and us to know that God's promise of rest still stands. The first generation of rescued Israelites, they may not have entered into rest, but God has not withdrawn his promise of rest for those who will trust his words and enter by faith. His promise still stands today. And so that's our first point. God promises rest. Our second point, Christ secures rest. The promise of rest still stands, but the author of Hebrews isn't asking his readers to pack up all their belongings and move to the physical land of Canaan. And thankfully, he's not asking us to do that either. But there is an invitation they must respond to if they're to experience the rest promised them. And there's an invitation we must respond to if we're to receive this rest too. We've seen in verse 2 that the unbelieving generation of Israelites didn't enter God's rest because they refused to believe his promise. They were excluded because they didn't have faith. But verse 3 says, now we who have believed enter that rest. 
The Israelites who were rescued from slavery in Egypt needed to have faith if they were to enter the rest of the promised land. But after God said they wouldn't be able to enter because of their disbelief, they thought they'd give it a try anyway. Um, At the end of Numbers 14, we read that they set off without Moses, without the um, Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of God's presence with them, and they tried to enter the land of Canaan by themselves. They weren't successful. The people of the land attacked them, chased them away. It was a disaster. They tried to enter God's rest by their own way and in their own strength. But they didn't succeed because God's rest is only entered by faith. They couldn't hustle and bustle their way in. They couldn't defy God's word and presume on their own wisdom or their own activity to obtain rest. And neither can we. Our culture says you can do whatever you want and achieve whatever you want if you just dig deep enough and try hard enough. God's word says no, the righteous will live by faith. God's promise of rest still stands and there is still only one way to enter it, by faith. Let's read again from verse 3. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. And so the author at this point helps us think a little differently about rest. He says, rest is like joining God in his heavenly Sabbath. Now that sounds a bit strange, Um, But in verse 4, he draws us back to the creation account. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we read of a world created at rest, complete peace. No tornadoes, no typhoons, no terrors, no troubles, no temper tantrums, no thistles, no thorns. Creation flourished and creatures lived in harmony with their creator and with one another. God created in Eden a home where Adam and Eve would experience the glorious rest of his presence as they worked and walked and ate and played. And we're told at the beginning of Genesis 2 that God himself rested after completing his work of creation. Genesis 2, 2 says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. The accounts of the other days of creation all end with this refrain, And there was evening and there was morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. But on the seventh day, there is no evening and morning because there is no end to the seventh day. Ever since the end of that creation week, God has enjoyed a continuous eternal Sabbath in heaven. But that doesn't mean he is inactive. God rested from his work of creating, but he didn't sit back with a cold glass of creation, Max, and kick his feet up. No, his work of creating was complete, but since then, he's been busy ruling that creation from his throne in heaven. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about in John 5, when he says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. When God finished his work of creation, he declared everything good. And so his rest was the rest of satisfaction. 
a stamp of approval on his work and a declaration of the good news that his provision for his people was perfect. God rested from creating because he'd completed the good work he'd begun and it brought him delight and satisfaction. And although he is still sovereignly ruling over the universe and active in his work of redemption, he continues to rest from his work of creating and he invites us to join him in that eternal rest. Verse six, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Long after the exodus from Egypt, God reiterated his promise through David. And centuries after David, he reiterated it again through his son. We, his people, are invited to enter into his rest, and we do so through Christ. Verse 8 is confirmation that the rest God promised his people was not the physical land of Canaan. Joshua was famous for leading the second generation of Israelites through the wilderness into the promised land. He brought them into the place of rest, but he didn't lead them to the ultimate rest that God had in mind for his people. If he had, God wouldn't have spoken later about another day of rest to come. But there would be another Joshua, a greater Joshua, who would come to bring a greater deliverance to his people. One who would deliver them and lead them not into temporary physical rest, but one who would lead them into eternal rest with God in heaven. In the Greek, this Joshua's name is Jesus. But what does it mean to join God in his heavenly rest? How does the rest that Jesus brings surpassed the rest that Joshua and the Israelites who followed them into Canaan experienced. What does it look like for us? That's what we want to know, isn't it? Um, Verse 10 says, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. When God finished creating the cosmos, he rested from his work of creation. He declared that it was complete and it was good. When Jesus cried out in a loud voice from the cross, it is finished, he rested from his work of atonement. It was complete and it was sufficient. There's now no atonement for sins needed because he has completed his work. And as we believe in him, as we put our trust in him alone for salvation, we rest from our striving to earn salvation. Mm trying to earn his favour and forgiveness through our own works of righteousness. And we enter into rest. We experience Sabbath rest, a return from exile and homelessness in a fallen world into citizenship of the New Jerusalem, 
where we will experience perfect rest for eternity. Jesus has joined us outside of Eden to bring us back to the paradise of God. He has entered into our unrest, into our lostness, our homelessness, our exile, so that he could take us back there with him. So we can know perfect, unbreakable rest in him. And we're citizens of this new home now, even as we wait for our journey there to be complete. And so there's this already and not yet tension to our life of rest. We experience rest from our striving to earn righteousness by our works. Um, We don't fight for favour. But we must wait until Jesus returns for our full and complete experience of rest to be realised. Christ secures new creation rest for us. In Canaan, when God's people were faithful to him, they experienced rest from enemy invasion and natural disasters and failure of the land to produce crops. But these outward and physical signs of rest were not enough to satisfy the promise of rest intended at the very beginning. God's plan was always for his people to share in his own eternal rest, even as they continued to live and work for him. And this is Sabbath rest, living the life we were created to live in complete obedience to God and fully depending on him to be at work in and through us for his glory. Christ has secured rest for us and we can only enter through him. But thirdly, we must enter. A few years ago, my family saved hard and planned a trip to France. It was the first time in years we'd been able to afford a holiday that wasn't in a friend's caravan. And we'd had a couple of disappointing trips in the past, so we were concerned to find just the right thing and not waste our money on something that would disappoint. We were very specific about what we were looking for, perhaps a little unrealistic, Um, But eventually we found details about a little jeet in the middle of nowhere that just ticked all our boxes. I read all of the online reviews, which were extremely positive, and I contacted the owner to see if we could maybe stay for a random 11 nights instead of 7 and 14. Um, It was peak season, so I expected a firm no, but she was so generous, she went out of her way to make it easy for us, and it all seemed too good to be true. All we had to do was book the holiday and go. Well, we did eventually book, and it was an idyllic holiday, and the place was beautiful, our host was wonderfully thoughtful and generous, the weather was amazing. Really, it was one of the best holidays we had, but we had to get there to experience it. We had to trust the reports we'd read were true, and that the owner was as kind and generous as she seemed. To experience this beautiful, peaceful place we'd heard and dreamed about, we had to leave Worcester and enter La Rochaudia. Now, if we hadn't left Worcester and travelled to France, all we would have missed out on was a wonderful 12-day holiday. But for the wilderness generation of Israelites who refused to enter Canaan, the consequences were far more serious. They missed out on the permanent rest God had promised, and they perished in the desert. And so the author of Hebrews ends this part of his letter with a challenge. Verse 11. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, 
so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We've seen there is a Sabbath rest still available for the people of God, and the way to enter into that rest is through Christ. God offers rest, but it's not enough to simply know this. We must make every effort to enter. Hearing and understanding the good news of rest in Jesus, it must be matched with genuine faith in him. The warning has been clear. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Twice in chapter 3 and again in chapter 4, the author reminds his readers that they must respond in faith. God promises rest, but we must respond with faith. We don't want to be like the Israelites who refused to experience his rest. They experienced evidence of his mercy and his power as they walked through walls of water, but they refused to trust and believe that he would take them safely into the land he'd promised. They relied on their own wisdom, what they could see with their own eyes, rather than trusting his word. Ultimately, they didn't trust God to take care of them. Now, I'm not saying we should stop everything we're doing, lie down, and just trust God to look after us. No, God rested from his work of creating because it was finished, but he didn't stop all activity. Jesus rested from his work of atoning for sin, but he is not inactive. Later in chapter 7, the author says that Jesus has a permanent priesthood and always lives to intercede for those who come to him. And that's what he's doing right now interceding for us. He sacrificed himself for sins once for all time, but he continues to intercede on behalf of those who come to God through him. His work hasn't ceased, even though he's rested from his work of atonement. And in a similar way, as we enter into God's rest through Jesus, we cease striving to enter on the basis of our own righteousness. We cease striving to earn favour by our good works. There is no rest while we're trying to be righteous by our own efforts. But when we can rest from trying to earn favour by our works, well, then we find peace. Tim Keller says, The thing that keeps you from real gospel rest is not your sin, but your best works. And I think what he means is the things that we're trusting in to earn God's favour. We can't really be at rest while we think there is something we can do to impress God or to earn his approval. That approval is only given through Jesus because Jesus is the only truly perfect human who has ever lived. Only he has lived the perfect life we were created for. Only he has done the things that we should do but can't because of our sin. Only he could make atonement for our sin because only he is sinless. If we want to enter rest through him, we need to acknowledge our sin. We need to rest from trying to hide it from God. The author goes on to say in verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He sees it all. So we can rest from trying to cover it up, like Adam and Eve in the garden trying to cover their nakedness and shame with fig leaves. We rest from hiding our sin and trying to cover it with inadequate garments. 
and we rest from striving to perform our way to rest. Instead, we come with our need and trust in the finished work of Christ to give rest for our souls. And it changes everything. We learn to live from a place of rest, not striving. And we're going to think about what that looks like in our next session. But for now, let me ask, what are you resting in? Are you striving to find rest in yourself? Are you seeking rest in anything other than Christ? It's very hard to rest on something that is unstable. Our achievements, our relationships, our good works. We can only really rest in Christ. And so will you surrender your striving to him? Will you accept his sacrifice on your behalf with grateful thanks? Will you come to him and find rest that can never be lost? The fourth century church father Augustine famously wrote in his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Let's pray that we would be women who find real, lasting, satisfying rest in Christ. Thanks for joining us on this special episode of the Co-Mission podcast. We hope you found it encouraging and a good reminder to find real rest in Jesus in a busy city. A huge thanks to all the women who helped make this event such a great day. Stay tuned for the next episode.